and we beheld his glory. Studies in John's Gospel. The title this morning, that all may believe through him. And I get that from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I hope you have a Bible of some kind. John chapter 1, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to, so he came as, there's a distinction here, as a witness, that's him personally, to bear witness. That's what he says about Jesus. So he is a witness in his person, and he bears witness in his words and the things he says about Jesus. I want to keep that distinction in your mind because it'll, it'll play bigger in the text as we work along. So he came as a witness, that's in his person, and he came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light. And these interesting words, which enlightens how many people? The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. I mean, there's a sense in which it's a bit strange that the Apostle John kind of plops these words about John the Baptist right in the middle of what has to be one of the most richly theological statements about the Word and what the Word was. And he jumps down to, oh yeah, and John the Baptist was there. I mean, it's a bit like turning in to watch the Super Bowl only to find out that the game has been replaced by a news special about the kind of machine they use to paint the lines on the field. It might be informative, but you're thinking, this is not the Super Bowl. And John is not the word. John isn't Jesus. John believed in Jesus. John followed Jesus in faith. Again, just as you and I believe in Jesus, and we follow Jesus. And John told people about Jesus with a passion, for sure. And in that sense, too, he's at least a little bit like you and I. We point others to Christ. We honor him. We worship him. So perhaps this little insert about John the Baptist isn't as out of place as we might first think. So point number one. The Apostle John refuses to allow any confusion about where saving faith must be placed. This is what I want to talk about in my Christian ed class this morning. Is it necessary for people everywhere to express conscious faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Here, point number one, the Apostle John refuses to allow any confusion about where saving faith has to be placed. It's in the third verse. He was not the light, but came to bear witness 
to the light. I mean, to us, those words seem kind of unnecessary. From our standpoint, there's no question here, really. Of course, John was not the light. Jesus was the light. But we've landed on that conviction about Jesus only because somehow, somewhere, at some point in time, we encountered gospel truth about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as God the Son, the Savior of mankind, the establisher of God's new creation. So we were, we were confronted at some point in time by the life-giving truth about Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. Only John isn't preaching to those who are already persuaded. And the Apostle John isn't writing for people already convinced. If people are going to find the light and life in Jesus Christ, they mustn't be confused as to its source. Think this through with me for a bit. What we're learning here from the Apostle John's approach in this text is that we always need a double emphasis when we proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. A double emphasis. Let me explain what I mean. We need to be told both who is the true light and we need to be told who isn't the true light. In other words, it isn't enough just to know Jesus is God the Son, the Savior of mankind. It's absolutely true. But we also need to know, and the example is in our text, that no one else is the way or the truth or the life. So, so we need the truth about Jesus expressed in two ways. A positive way, there he is, that's it, that's the way. And the negative way, don't even look over here, there aren't any substitutes. That's what the Apostle John is doing. John the Baptist is not the light. Only Jesus is the light. All the other options have to be removed if you're going to proclaim Jesus properly. And this is the offense of the gospel, folk, right here. No one is offended by you telling them of the life you have found in Jesus Christ and how precious he is to you. No one is offended by that. What's offensive is telling them that they are mistaken if they put their faith anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. That's not going to win you friends. Do you all understand what I'm saying? That's what, that's what the Apostle John is doing here. It isn't just right to acknowledge Jesus is the light, the only Lord, the Redeemer. It's not just that that's right. It's also wrong to place that trust in any other source. This is John's way of reminding us that, that wrong beliefs are just as sinful as wrong actions, and almost nobody believes that anymore. One of the reasons the Apostle John unleashes this clear sentence about who John the Baptist wasn't 
is there's pretty good evidence that people were already showing signs of confusion about John the Baptist. It's in your Bible. I was looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers then came and asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, John the Baptist, concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. You see that? John, he's pretty special. Maybe this is the one. We also know that even after the Baptist's death, there were people who desired to be baptized in his name. And he said, into what then? were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. People were being baptized in the name of not the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the name of John the Baptist. Do you see what's happening here? Such was the appeal, the magnetism of John's ministry. It just seemed logical for people to attach themselves to him. See, that's why we need the emphasis of the Apostle John's remarks about John the Baptist. We need to be clear in our witness to Christ that we don't, in some effort to appear user-friendly and tolerant, culturally relevant, that we don't give the impression that all good prophetic voices and all humanitarian religions are somehow the same as hearing Jesus. It's not the same. We need to be clear in telling people that there's only one person and one message to which we are witnesses. The Apostle's honesty about John the Baptist's humility, it's quite refreshing. He was not the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I want to talk about that for a minute. Because we are living in a day when Almost every ministry under the sun has that incredibly overworked adjective incarnational slapped in front of it. And every Christian is almost thoughtlessly told to be Jesus to everyone. Just be Jesus. I know what they mean. It's not a good way to put it. It's both refreshing and helpful that one of the first things about John the Baptist we're clearly told is he was not Jesus. He wasn't trying to be Jesus. You can't miss the apostle's noble desire here. It's, it's something that the church simply has to get right. He, he would be here pleading today, please, never, never, never get anybody else confused with Jesus. True, you may, you must, Live and serve in his name. You are empowered by his spirit. But never forget that his redemptive works are absolutely unrepeatable and unique. I am not Jesus. I never will be Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. 
the next truth is kind of related to this. Point number two. The content of the gospel message must be kept distinct from the one bearing witness to it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now remember, I already pointed this out, so you'd be looking for it. He came as a witness, do you remember? And he came to bear witness about the light. There's two things talked about. Being a witness is living my life in such a way that people see God's glory, his grace, his, his, his compassion manifested in my life. I live in such a way that points others to the glory of God. That's being a witness. Bearing witness is words. Jesus is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity and the Godhead, the one who died and rose from the dead, bearing God's wrath. He's coming again. He will establish a new creation. Now, that's me bearing witness to Jesus. One is my life, being a witness, that they might see your good works, right, Jesus said, and glorify your Father in heaven. That's being a witness. Bearing witness is speech, propositions, truth, shared. I just wanted to make that clear. So take note of the way John repeats that term, witness, two times in one verse. He's unique in this emphasis, by the way. The term isn't used at all in Matthew's gospel about being a witness. It's used three times in Mark's gospel and only once in Luke. John uses the term 14 times. The synoptics just know John as John the Baptist. Strictly speaking, John doesn't even record the baptism of Jesus by John. John's gospel talks about the Baptist first and foremost as being a witness and bearing witness. So to what was John the Baptist such a witness? I mean, our text says, it's right there, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. But to what does that refer? What does the term light mean? Does the light refer to moral goodness, acts of righteousness? Is the light godly character, moral boldness? Is the light compassion for the poor? Now, the reason we need to be clear on this is because John the Baptist did all those things but he wasn't the light. Do you see what I'm saying? So exactly what is the light to which John bore witness? There are clues in our text, but you have to think them through carefully. One clue is given from our previous point in verse 8, where we're specifically told John the Baptist, while bearing witness to the light, verse 7, was not the light, verse 8. So we know... The light can't be a reference to godly character, acts of righteousness, because John the Baptist was godly and righteous, and we're told he wasn't the light. So it's kind of confusing. 
I mean, Jesus himself said there was no one born of a woman who compared with John the Baptist on these terms of righteousness and morality and truth. This is Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, that's pretty well everybody, there has, look at, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet, and yet, the Apostle John is quick to point out, he's not the light. What? No one, no one greater than John the Baptist born ever. Jesus said that. But all of those qualifications, he's still not the light. We know from Jesus' words that John's life shone with obedience, with divine calling, with faithfulness, with dedication, with a zeal for God. In fact, in fact, to make it more confusing, the Apostle John will actually call John the Baptist a light in a limited sense, right in the gospel. In verses we'll get to, look at this, John 5. 33 to 35, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, John the Baptist. And you were willing to rejoice for a while. Look, in his light. So there's light there. And you and I, actually, we're called to be lights. Here's Jesus speaking. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. This is being a witness. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, Put all these scriptures together with John 1.8. And here we are. We aren't the light. We do have this capacity to illuminate. We can be lights in a dark world in a limited sense. We can enhance the credibility of the gospel with the lives we live. So we know that coming to the light has to be more than just a call to morality because John the Baptist was a light in that sense. We're called to be lights in that sense, and yet we're not the light. So here's what it means. When we talk about Jesus being the light, we don't mean he was a great moral teacher, a great moral example. He did a lot of good things. He was full of mercy and grace and love because lots of other people are compassionate and full of mercy, and full of grace. Some of them are atheists. So no one is the light except Jesus Christ. So he is the light in terms of his unique, redemptive truth. So when the Apostle John states so bluntly that John the Baptist was not the light, we know the light John is talking about isn't good deeds because John had those. It wasn't faithful service because John was that. 
It wasn't righteous character. John had all of those things, but he wasn't the light. So that second point still stands. The content of the gospel message must be kept distinct from the one bearing witness to it. The unique truths about Jesus come first. There are lots of good leaders, lots of good deeds, lots of good motivators, lots of good examples of love and compassion in this world. There are people of other faiths who work supernatural works, but they're not the light. Point number three. Strangely, the presence of the light, Jesus, doesn't automatically create yielding trust in the light. You look at verse 7 and verse 9. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That How many people, by the way, does... God want to reach, that all might be believed through him. The true light, verse 9, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. I think it's important, as we start to wrap up, to link these two verses together. Because we're kind of shocked that this divine light should ever be rejected. That people actually prefer darkness to the light. Look what John says in verse 19. This is the judgment. The light, we know who he's talking about now, it's Jesus, has come into the world, and and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So if that's the kind of darkness in human hearts, the question has to be asked, what hope is there? that people would believe the light, that people would come to the light. People love the darkness rather than the light. So what's, where's the hope? There are two issues that John addresses in those two verses. He says, first, the situation would be hopeless were it not for the fact that Christ, through his divine coming, person, and work, John is very clear. It doesn't get talked about a lot. John is very clear that it has done something for every person who has ever drawn a breath. The coming of Jesus has done something for every person who has drawn a breath. It's in that ninth verse, the true light, which enlightens how many people? was coming into the world. Just, just, just take those words seriously. John says that our Lord, here's why he's the light, by the way, in a way no one else is. Our Lord has put a spark of light into every heart. He has, this, by the way, is my response to, and it's my response. I'm not saying you have to hold this view my response to Calvinists who teach that Jesus only came and died for the elect, that there are, no one knows how many, millions, maybe billions of people God created for no other purpose 
than to reveal his wrath. That's Calvinism. This is my reply to it that, that I think makes more sense. The true light, which enlightens everyone, doesn't say saved everyone, enlightens everyone was coming into the world. That he has Christ through his own, and here are the important words. They're not complicated. They're big, but they're not complicated. Through his own universal, everyone, prevenient. He does it first. We don't start this. He starts it and he initiates. Resistible. It's not irresistible grace. His universal, prevenient, resistible grace has limited the damage in everyone, every person everywhere, limited the damage that our rebellion would have done to our capacity to respond had he not graciously held it back in measure. Without that initiative, without he does it first, we don't initiate our salvation. Without that universal prevenient, resistible grace. Paul says we're just dead in sin. Dead. So in other words, we would all be totally incapable of ever believing in Christ if he hadn't come and done something to keep the door open a little bit in every heart that has ever lived. This gracious act doesn't ensure saving faith, but it makes it it makes it a real possibility in everyone. The second thing we see is a witness to the light is still a necessity. The light invites, it doesn't coerce. A choice is made possible by Christ's universal, prevenient, resistible grace. We become truly accountable for our response. Pastor Don, that's a lot of theology for a Sunday morning, especially when I lost an hour's sleep. Here's the upshot. I'm going to close with these two thoughts. First, we are called upon to bear witness. That means we are called upon to do what I just did this morning. We are called upon to Know the content of the gospel. The things I said earlier about the cross, most Christians don't even think about them. You, you can't bear witness without knowing the truth. And it takes work. This isn't Sesame Street. I'm not Big Bird. It takes thought and study to know the truth so that you can actually say, I know how to share this now. We're called, you're called, to bear witness. And second, we're called, along with John the Baptist, to be witnesses, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. At least this, everybody in this room should know the difference between being a witness and bearing witness. If you understand that, let me see your hand. Okay, that's pretty good. 